glad you guys didn't make me whistle in church. I've been bad. Today's reading is in Psalms 9. Psalm 9. Uh, we're going to read the whole thing. I will give thanks to Yahweh with all my heart. I will recount all your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my justice and my cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished, but Yahweh abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will render justice for the people with equity. Yahweh also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of distress. And for those who know your name, will put their trust in you. For you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to Yahweh, who abides in Zion. Declare among the people his acts. For he, will requires, for he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh. See my affliction from those who hate me. You will lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the, of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. Yahweh has made himself known. He has executed judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is snared. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. For the needy, will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Yahweh, do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Yahweh. Let the nations know that they are but men. These are the very words of God. It was a cold November afternoon at about two o'clock when the ship left its port. It was loaded down with thousands of tons of iron ore. Its destination was a place that it had been to hundreds of times before, a journey that it had made hundreds of times before. The cargo ship was about 100, or 730 feet long. It was a significant vessel. It had been tested through the previous 25 years and had shown itself to be worthy. The captain was experienced and so was the crew. They had faced many storms together in their journey through these many, many years. And the day started out like any other day. It was joined a few hours later by a sister ship to make this journey that it had done many times before. 
And as they traveled through the night with the promise of fair seas, fair winds, there were no worries. But after midnight, around 1 a.m., things changed. The weather forecast changed. What they thought was going to be fair seas had turned into choppy weather. The winds had gathered and, and, and formed a, against these ships as they were traveling on this journey. The seas rose to 10 to 15 feet tall. The winds were at 60 miles an hour. The captain of this ship, who was very experienced, decided on this inland sea, I am going to try to get to the leeward side, out of the waves, out of the wind for the ship, and left the company of its following mate. But no safety was to be found on the leeward side. In fact, the waves kept increasing, and they struggled against these waves for the next 18 hours. Finally, it was decided that they would, should make it to this harbor. If they could just get to this harbor, they would find safety. But the waves and the winds continued to increase. Snow followed. Visibility decreased to where they couldn't even see. The captain couldn't even see hardly any distance ahead of him. For 18 hours, they struggled. The safe harbor was out there, but he had lost his radar. And the safe harbor where they went had lost the radio. Or it wasn't even on. The last words heard from the captain were this. We are holding our own. Twenty-nine souls were lost on that ship. A famous story that you've heard in song by Gordon Lightfoot. It was the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. They had tried to safely reach a safe harbor to get relief in the storm that they were under, but they never did. They initially sought safety where none was found. They thought they could hold their own, but they couldn't, and all was lost. Today, when we look at this, these four verses in Psalm 9, we're going to find a different and more eternal safety, something that is beyond the physical, something that is important to all of us as we study these words of the Lord. We read the entirety of the psalm because we do not do it, we do not helicopter in and pull verses out of context. Uh, we want to get the, the, the flavor of the entirety of the psalmist, in this case, David. And our verses today are verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. We would refer to these verses as two strophes, two things that two. Two poetic, uh, two poetic sections, verses 7 and 8 is one strophe, verses 9 and 10 is another. They are going to tell us about the Lord, about Yahweh, about our God, of the Creator of heaven and earth, the Creator of the universe, 
they're going to tell us about the nature, character of one triune God. If we think about the previous verses and how they ended, it ended with the Lord on His throne. Immovable. The wicked had been destroyed. The nations had been rebuked. The enemies of the Lord, their names, it says in verse 5, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. Never to be remembered. Fate of the wicked. Their cities, or the enemy, had come into perpetual ruin. The cities had been uprooted. The memory of even them had been removed. The memory itself, we could say, had perished, burned away, like dust blown into the wind. The enemies of David had perished. And in turn, those were enemies of, the God, of God Most High, of Yahweh Most High, because that is who David represents. These are the ones that have been found unjust and have found themselves at the tip of the sword of God's justice. They have found themselves in the path of God's sovereignty, immovable and unchangeable. As we come into verse 7, it says, But Yahweh abides forever. He has established His throne for judgment. His throne is established and fixed in place forever. It is immovable, firm, unchanging where the Lord sits. The throne is steadfast. It is not a throne that has been granted to Him like an earthly king would gather a throne, but it has always been there at the highest place. The furthest most place. The place that's unassailable. The place where He is unchangeable. The place where His judgment and decrees come down from. There has never, this throne has never been where God has not been seated upon it. Nothing can change the position of the Lord. He is seated, as it would say, in Zion. Why do we, why do we, why do they refer to that in the scripture as God will come down upon Zion? Because that is where the temple existed, where God's presence was at. But God's throne is there, far away, immovable at the highest points, above everything else. It shows the holiness of Yahweh, of our triune God. It shows his separation from his creation. He is not like his creation. It represents in a physical way in the words that are used by our author here, David, the difference between God and man. He abides forever. In the Hebrew, it's olam. Forever and ever to time without time to time everlasting from time everlasting. Think, if you will, about the image that is presented to us in Isaiah chapter 6 about this throne. It 
It is Isaiah the prophet speaking in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. Absolute holiness and perfection is what we are seeing here. And it says the whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called out, while the house of God was filling with smoke. This is the image of the throne room of the Lord, unapproachable to the throne even by divine creatures who have to cover themselves in their entirety as they fly around the throne of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Similarly, in Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we find this. This is John's, the Apostle John's revelation. And out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. This sea of glass, the separation of the Lord God Almighty from everything else in His divine realm. He is holy, holy, holy. There is none like Him, and there will be none like Him. This image that David is trying to get us to understand out of the psalm, that this is the throne of the Lord, unchanging, unassailable, unmovable, fixed, high, lofty, above everything else. It is the throne of the Lord and it is holy. It is a holy, holy, holy place. This idea of the throne where God is sitting, where where David is telling us about this, that he abides forever, is that place where the judgment in all truth and righteousness occurs from. That He has established this throne as this place of judgment that will judge the whole world. That will judge both the guilty and the innocent. That will judge all by the works of their hands on the face of this planet. It is where that sentence is handed down, where the accused will hear either innocent or guilty. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 tells us, uh, re, uh, giving us uh, a slightly shorter version of Psalm, cha- Psalm 102. It tells us there in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, these words, 
they will perish, but you, that is you, Yahweh, you, Lord, remain. And they all will wear out like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. We find out in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Unchanging in who He is. Unchanging on the throne. We know that the Christ Himself sits at the right hand of the Father Himself. We know from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. We should find, as David is trying to have us understand, great comfort in the location of the Lord and His throne. We will also find ourselves in a little trepidation of our hearts and our minds because at some point in time, we ourselves will stand before that judgment seat. But the idea here is the unchangeable nature of the Lord, His great consistency. His great consistency. Unlike others in our lives, other friends or family or, or work member, workmates that we have, the one who, ones who make promises and fall short, God's promises all come to pass. All that He says that He will do, He does. He abides forever and He established His throne for judgment. It says in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8, it says, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will render justice for the peoples with equity. The second part of this first unit, it tells us how the Lord will do this judgment from this lofty place where he is established at. What will happen from the throne? what will occur from that location. And it says that He will judge the world. This is His place, His throne room, His judgment seat, that judgment seat that is given to His Son, Jesus. All the world will be judged. Nothing will escape the judgment of the Lord. There is not a person that will escape this judgment. Not one to which, let me say this differently, no one who lives in this life will pass away from that judgment seat. Everyone will pass before that judgment seat. All that have lived, all that are currently living, and all that will live will pass through the judgment of the Lord. 
question we have is who will you be judged by? Or who would be judged through? Where will you find your safe harbor on that either glorious or terrible day of the Lord? You see, some have sought their safe harbor in other things. They have sought their safe harbor away from the Lord. They have sought their safe harbor in the things that they can hold with their hands. They have sought it in their careers, in their husband or their wife, or their boyfriend or their girlfriend, in their car, in their status in society. And those things will be burned up like straw, hay, and stubble at the end of time. They provide no safe harbor. Much like the ship we talked about in the beginning, when they sought the lee side of the storm in this other thing and they didn't find it. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 4 through 5 tell us these words. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with uprightness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, and he will put the wicked to death. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Or Acts chapter 17 verse 31 because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, that man is Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The keys of judgment given to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. couple verses out of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Verses 5 and 6. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will repay to each according to his works. Just as an aside, I mean, why do, we, why do I go to all these scriptures? I just want to show you the consistency of God's word and to show you where it says it in God's word, that you can trust God's word that it is His Word to us. It is the story, the entirety of the Scripture is the story of His redemptive plan through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the gift of the Holy Spirit that all who believe in Him receive. And listen to these words 
carefully consider these, this next verse, carefully consider it in your state right now, verse 16 of Romans chapter 2, on the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. We can get that lofty picture of God's throne where everything is seen from His throne. There is nothing that is truly hidden in your hearts or your minds. It is all seen and bared before the Lord. It is only through His grace that you are not punished or I am not punished at this moment in time. That He is the righteous judge from that righteous place in His throne room. All will be judged with equity. They are not judged by different scales. Revelation 20.12 tells us and 13 says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. This, these verses in Psalm 9 tell us that He will judge with equity. That the scales will be tested and certified prior to the measurement. That the scales are ensured to be absolutely correct. The stamps like you see at the gas pump that says these are certified for the amounts that they give out. These scales of which the Lord judges will be perfect in their judgment. That the lives of a person will be laid upon these scales and tested against what is required for a holy, holy, holy God. The good works of the person will be poured upon those scales and they will be like dust against tons of lead that are the requirements of a holy, holy, holy God. The person will stand before those scales and see that poured out, drifting down upon that scale and not moving the mark one iota. Because the requirements of a holy, holy, holy God cannot be met by sinful men. The anxious feelings of those who are standing before that throne, before that judgment seat, without Jesus as their Lord and Savior, makes me shudder to think what that is like. Because you will be bared before that seat. Everything weighed out in perfection. 
and found wanting. Crumbs of crumbs like dust dropping on that scale and not even moving the marker an iota. It is said that all the good works of all the men that, and women that have lived up until this point in time, if they were to be piled up in a giant pile, is not enough to pay for the smallest sin in any person's life. Because our God is holy, holy, holy. There is no safe harbor to be found in your good works. To seek after your, to see to after, seek after your uh, working at the soup kitchen and say, "Look, God, what I've done to 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 gain my entrance into heaven, or the five dollars I gave to the homeless guy on the street, or helping the old lady walk across the street, or being nice to my spouse is not enough to pay." For a lifetime of sin. It is like a drop in the ocean. David says that he will render justice from this place with equity. All will be judged according to their works or their lack thereof. It has been said and I'll see if I can handle this correctly, because it's not in my notes. It is said that we will so run from God after the baubles and bangles of this world. We will run after the, the shiniest little object away from God. And in turn, we will drink an ocean of God's wrath for it. We have to come to grips with this because to stand before this judgment seat without our Lord and Savior imparted righteousness upon us to leaves us bare and for eternal damnation. John 5.24 tells us this. Many of you are familiar with this passage. If you're not familiar with this passage, I suggest you circle it in your Bible. 524 tells us these words, truly, this is the Lord Jesus himself speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Jesus is our safe harbor. He is the one we should run to. He is the one we should turn to. He is the one we should seek for salvation. He is the one that when we know Him, we should seek to know more and more and more of Him every single day of our lives. It is therefore that those who seek the Lord, who are found in Jesus Christ, who are found in our Savior and are filled with the Holy Spirit, who can truly know these next two verses that we will speak of in Psalm 9? Verse 9.
Yahweh also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of distress. Only those who are found in the Lord Jesus Christ can can say this, can understand this. Ones that have been saved by the Lord can understand what this means, that He is the stronghold for the oppressed, the stronghold in a time of distress, that He is that refuge, that the Lord is that refuge, that high place, that fortification beyond the enemy's reach, secure, safe, and a safe place for the afflicted of this world. For the oppressed, there means that those that are are crushed by the weight of this life. Those that are crushed by the weight of sin in this world. Those whose hearts have been changed, that know the Lord and Savior, that every day are desiring to be free from the sin in their own lives. Crushed by the weight of this world and what and just the lack of satisfaction that it gives. These oppressed are the wretched and rejected. Maybe you don't feel like that right now as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have just become a believer and are riding that wave of salvation. Of knowing that you are saved and you are way up here. You, you, just, you, you just can't be brought down. And that's a good place to be. And it doesn't last. As you walk around, as you see the world for what it is, through the lens of Scripture, you can feel the weight of sin in this life. Why was Jesus Himself a man of sorrows? Because He was the only sinless one surrounded by sin at all times. He felt the weight of the world in the wretchedness of sin around us. Why does He cry? Why does He weep when He goes to raise Lazarus from the dead? It is not because Lazarus has died. He has said three times that he would raise him again. He is weeping because when he sees the people in distress because of Lazarus' death, he sees the damage that sin does in this world. This is the oppression, the wretchedness, the distress that we feel in this life being found in Jesus. That is why we must turn to Him as our stronghold. We must turn to the Scriptures and to see what the truths that are said. To believe the words that David has written here. David in his instance, he has been pursued by his enemies. We know that he has been pursued by his son. We know that there are those that are saying lies about him, a seemingly unending stream of wicked and violent people that are out after David. So David is a man that even as king can speak from this place of authority about the subject of being oppressed and in distress. 
But he speaks with certainty about knowing the Lord and the only place that he can turn, that, they, that the Lord Himself is the only safe harbor for him. That there is no other place that he can find relief from this life than in Yahweh Himself. David says that it is upon the Lord that you can cast your cares and worries and troubles. That it is in the Lord where refuge can be found. That there is comfort and solace to be found because He is on His throne forever and ever and ever and unchanging. That He is sovereign over everything that occurs. That Proverbs 18.10 tells us that the name of the Lord itself, Himself is a strong tower. That the righteous runs to it and is safe. Isaiah 4.6 tells us that there, there will be a shelter to give shade from the heat of the day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain found in our Lord. That when the Storms come and the lightning crashes down in our lives. The the distress that we feel, the persecution that we feel because we will be persecuted as followers of our Lord and Savior, that we can run to Him and trust in the promises of Him. Look at Isaiah chapter 32-2. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a rock in a weary land. That is the King who God Himself will provide. We find that in Lord Jesus, that He is like a refuge from the wind, when that fateful day, that crew sought the lee side, the captain sought the lee side to be out of the wind and couldn't find it. But Jesus is that refuge. Jesus is that fixed point that we can turn to. Look at Isaiah, well, we're in Isaiah 32.2. Oh, I said 32.2, excuse me. Look at... Nahum 1 7, one of the minor prophets. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. He knows those that take refuge in him. Hebrews 6. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us It's not up there, but I'm going to continue because I just love this verse. It gives us that idea of safe harbor. Verse 19, 
This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed in one which enters within the veil. The fixed hope, an unchangeable hope, an unmovable hope, the refuge that we have, the high throne that, a, that the Lord sits upon, the place where we seek shelter and safety, the lee side from the wind, that when we find ourselves in the Lord, that we find ourselves safely there, that even during stormy seas, Jesus Himself is like that lighthouse that we can look to for guidance. That does not move from its location. That's the idea of a lighthouse. It is fixed in its location. That the ship can, 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 can have confidence where that lighthouse is at. That's also why pirates, for example, in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, they would fake lighthouses by having mules or donkeys carry lights on them along the beach to draw ships in to dangerous waters. Jesus is a fixed point for us that we can count on in all sorts of seas, both calm and stormy. Jesus is that lighthouse in violent storms. We look to Him to find shelter and safe passage from this life into the next. Verse 10 of Psalm chapter 9, And those who know Your name will put their trust in You, for You, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek You. To know the name of the Lord is a key component here. It is not just to be able to recite somebody's name, but it gives the idea of truly knowing who that person is. To know the name of the Lord is to know His character, His nature, His being, what He desires from His people. To know His name is to know the strength that is found in His name, that He is safe harbor. It is not to know in a simplistic fashion where I just meet somebody as an acquaintance and say I know him. Because you will remember the Pharisees would have said that they knew Jesus. Known his eye color. The way he walked. What his voice sounded like. But they did not know Jesus. So this idea of knowing the name, the name of the Lord is not a simplistic fa- is not in simplistic fashion like that. It's it's like saying somebody says, "Well, I know the Bible," and you say, "Okay, well, can you give me, you know, maybe two or three of the Ten Commandments?" And they can't do it. They should be able to because it's a basic. The Ten Commandments are a basic tenet that run from from the front to the back of the Scripture. If you claim to know what God desires, more than an acquaintance, knowing more than just in passing, it is to understand relationally the person. To understand the revealed knowledge of that person. 
We certainly know that the, the, the Israelites would have known who God was, would have had been able to give a good explanation of who the Lord was by the demonstration when they were saved out of slavery to Egypt. We also know that the Lord did not reveal His name to the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, that He did not make, his, make Myself known to them is what He says. They know a little bit about the Lord and what He desired, but it wasn't until He is revealed to Moses, Exodus chapter 3, verses 14-15, through 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am, and He said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He closes out verse 15, This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. It represents that name, I am who I am, Yahweh. It represents His nature and His character that is revealed. It is more than just a passing acquaintance. To know the name of the Lord is to know the Lord. It is to know Yahweh. To not just know just their name, but to know their character. To know what they have done. To know that He is unchangeable in His location on that throne. That it is impossible for the Lord to lie. That He, has the one, he is the one that has provided the redemptive path through His Son our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the people who know the Lord in this fashion who trust in the Lord. It is these men and women who are not downtrodden in difficult times, but they turn to the Lord when they recognize where they're at. They turn to that fixed lighthouse that is our Lord Jesus Christ when the seas are rough around them, that they look to the Lord Himself. I cannot say like the captain of the Edmund Fitzgerald said, we are holding our own. Because to trust in oneself is to be in danger of sinking. God will not abandon those who know His name. He will not leave them. He will not let them go. Once saved, always saved. Isaiah 26.3 The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because this person trusts in you. Jeremiah 29.13 You will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. John 17.3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. <coughs> In 2 Corinthians 1.9, indeed we have had, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We have seen four things in these passages, these verses that are here, that God's throne is forever and unchanging, which should give us confidence in the power and sovereignty of Yahweh. We have found that the Lord is truly just and truly righteous. Therefore, 
the wicked will be punished. The Lord is a refuge for the afflicted and those who are found in Him. Therefore, we can trust in His provision in times of need. And we know that the Lord saves those found in Him. God saves completely through His Son, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Unlike that captain, we do not hold our own. Christ holds us. Christ is that safe harbor. Once in His grasp, we can never be out, even though the storms of this life create rocky seas. We trust in the saving work of Jesus that to tell us, it is finished now and forever, and that He will bear us into that safe harbor where there is a city we have never seen and a king we have never viewed. And we will come into that harbor on calm, in fair winds and following seas, as they say. And it will be a glorious day when that happens. For Jesus Christ is that safe harbor of our lives and our souls. So the question for today is, are you holding your own putting your hope in a harbor that won't provide safety? Or are you found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Father God, we thank you for the words from the psalm, the Psalm 9, and all the psalms that are there that speak so eloquently in words that we cannot craft, that tell us all about you. We are thankful for the infallible and errant word that you have given to us through men. We ask that you are with us through this day, that we put trust in you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit bends our will to yours. Please be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and join us while we finish out through song.